So um, it's wonderful to, wonderful to see you. So let's think about the mission of Jesus, the mission of Jesus. So I'm just going to press the next slide here. It's not working. There we go. Here we are. That's right. The mission of Jesus. Now, if you look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5 to 7, this is kind of by way of introduction, really, to this uh, short series. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, we see a description of, of the mission of our Lord. It says, Therefore, uh, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. So that's uh, quoting from the Old Testament, and it's a prediction that the one who is going to be sent, the one who is going to come to do the will of God, would have a body prepared. And it's obviously a prediction about Jesus. And Hebrews chapter 10 in the New Testament is looking back to the fulfilment of that prophecy, how Jesus, the Son of God, came. But a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, think of all the animal sacrifices and so on that were that had taken place over many years in the Old Testament times, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. They were symbols, they were pictures, uh, dramatic prophecies, as it were, of Jesus, but they weren't the fulfilment. And so those themselves didn't take away sins. But the one who was sent to take away sins, the one who was sent to be our saviour, then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. So when Jesus came to the world, he came on a mission. He knew he had a mission, and he had that in mind. And it was a mission that was planned before time began. It was a mission that was planned before creation itself. And the mission was that humanity, which had rebelled against its creator, would be saved by its creator, through his suffering, through his death. And, of course, we know his resurrection and ascension back to heaven. So the mission was for the Son of God to leave the glory of heaven, to come to this world, and to take on humanity to become the God-man. Still truly God, but now truly human in one person of the Son of God, the God-man. And he would live a perfect life on this planet. He would live a perfect life, the life that we fail to live. And then he would give that perfect life as a, as a sacrifice, as that final, pure, complete sacrifice to pay the fine to pay the penalty for our sins. And now, of course, through faith in Jesus, the Son of God, we're forgiven. Through faith in him, we're being changed from the inside out because the Holy Spirit of Jesus lives within us and changes us from the inside. And so the original design purpose for the world, for the cosmos, will be restored. And God's people will one day live happily in God's world under God's blessing for eternity. And so the restoration of all things will come. And it's all part of the mission. And Jesus had this mission in his heart as he came to this world. And we see his infiltration into the world. We think of military terms, his infiltration into the world. The Son of God became a human embryo in Mary's womb. That was his cover. But it wasn't a secret cover because it wasn't to be hidden. Uh, eventually he began, began his public ministry. But he came to this world through becoming an embryo inside Mary's womb. His life, the life that he lived, well, it was... Uh, true head and heart and active obedience to all that is right and good. He had to live a life that was pristine and perfect. That was part of his mission, to live that life. And then, of course, there was deci the decisive act of his mission, and that was his death and resurrection, and uh, giving his life as that sacrifice, that perfect life. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us about that. And we see that the pattern of his mission coming into this world. So Philippians 
uh, chapter 2 and verse 6 says this, Who, that's Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We can see his descent, his downward mission into this world to be our saviour. And then, of course, there was uh, the, if you like, the, the extraction after his decisive act of death. There was the uh, resurrection from the dead, and then his ascension back to heaven. That was the extraction. And he's going to be there until the gospel has is, is been preached and offered across the world, when God knows it's been offered enough across the world, and then he will return, and then the finality of the plan is going to be the restoration. All things will be made new. And every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he's Lord. And we see that again in Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in a few moments we see the, the mission, we see the plan, we see it's going to end wonderfully and gloriously, and everything promised so far has been fulfilled. Do you realise that? Everything promised to this point has been fulfilled. Jesus was faithful in his mission. He gave his life as predicted, as promised, after living that perfect life for 30 years on this earth. And we are now to be active in living for him, serving him and awaiting his return and the culmination, the final step of his plan, the restoration of all things. So we're waiting for the return of Jesus and we're living in the light of that. So let's get back to Luke chapter 4 and we look at the stage of the Lord's mission as he's, he's been baptised and he's now going out, uh, beginning his public ministry. But just before that, He's taken by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, and this event is recorded in three of the Gospels. And he's going into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil. So Jesus faced temptation. And the major point is this, that he faced temptation as a man. He faces temptation as a man. Remember, he's still truly God. He always was and always will be the Son of God. But the Son of God, on his mission had deliberately become a man to fulfil his purpose. Still God, but still truly human too. And this was so vital. And it's so encouraging for us as well to know this. Jesus was conceived miraculously without any human father involved. But he was born in the ordinary way. And so therefore he was truly God and truly man. And he was brought up in Nazareth. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 40... It says there that the child Jesus grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. So he had a normal upbringing, child growing up to grow older and older, going through his birthdays like any child does. And it says he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. At the age of 12, it's commented that about Jesus that he was obedient to his earthly parents. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says this. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. So Jesus grew. He went through a growing up process just as you and I did. So there was real human growth and real human development of the baby Jesus to youth to manhood. 
And then we have the amazing revelation that Jesus, the perfect man, perfect son of God, is able to empathize with our weaknesses, with the frailties of our humanity, because he experienced temptation without sinning, just as we do. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, I refer you to that. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, we don't have time to delve into all the, the theology of that uh, this morning. It would take a long time, a long time uh, to, to delve into that. But Jesus was not sinful like us. He didn't have a sinful nature like us. He was the perfect son of God. He didn't have that battle with the internal sinful nature like we do. But the way it's described here, how he dealt with temptation, we see that he still had choices to make, real choices. He still had to weigh up opportunities. He had to still reject what was wrong and do what was right. If you think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they didn't have a sinful nature, did they? They weren't created with a sinful nature. And yet they had a real choice there and they failed, didn't they? They were swayed by what the serpent, what Satan said. But Jesus, he never gave in. He always chose the right. But nevertheless, we see that there is something described here in the way that it talks about Jesus battling with sin, battling with temptation, although he didn't have a sinful nature, but the temptations were real. The choices were real. And he had to make a deliberate, conscious choice to reject what was wrong and do what was right. And we have enough, although we haven't got time to go into all the theology of this, we have enough to see that on Temptation Mountain, we have a person who felt tired. Do you feel tired this morning? He felt thirsty, maybe you do, after singing already. Uh, maybe you need a bit of a drink. Hungry. Well, Jesus had this exponentially. He'd been out in the wilderness without food. Maybe no access to water or very little. Hungry, tired. And the temptations he experienced were real. They, they weren't fake. This is not just a drama, uh, a parable. This is what Jesus went through. And the battle he experienced means that Jesus knows. Jesus feels our struggle with temptation. He feels your struggle with temptation. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you do understand how we feel. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to this testing time in the desert. And he was, and he is, as we said, truly the Son of God. But he faced temptations as a human being, as we do. He was tempted as a man. And this was an important part of his mission, that he went through a real humanity, a real human experience, saying no to sin and yes to righteousness, just like we do. Now, we often talk about mountaintop experiences as positive, don't we? We're on top of the mountain. We feel on top of the mountain. We say things like that. Wonderful events, top of the world, or top of the morning, to be, as a dear brother at the back would say. Getting to the top of a hill or getting to the top of a mountain is often an exhilarating. If you go up a hill with a uh, with your family, maybe you get to the top and the children may be moaning on the way, but when they get to the top, it's all forgotten as they look at the view and it's fantastic. But it can also be, at times, a very scary time getting to the top of a mountain. If the wind is blowing a gale and the mist comes down and it's freezing cold. Anyone ever been in that experience? We've got to the top of a mountain and the mist has come down and uh, you can't see where the path is and you're not quite sure, and it's cold, and it's blowing a gale, and so on, and you're not sure how to get back safely. I've been in that experience, and it can be quite uh, disorientating and quite scary. But as we go with Jesus on the mountaintop here, 
we see that he was experiencing not a top of the world experience, but a very difficult, challenging experience. And we can see that it was a real battle. Remember this? That Jesus is hungry, he's weary, and he's facing a real, real challenges and real choices in this temptation. And so we're going to, if you like, expose the temptation. Expose the temptation here as we look at Luke chapter 4. Now it says here, verse 5, the devil led him up a high place. Matthew's gospel describes it as a very high mountain. And the devil showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And we don't know how he did that, but in an instant he was able to see something of all the kingdoms of the earth. Verse 6 says, And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. So basically the devil offers him the world, doesn't he? The devil offers him the world for what? For a bow down. For a bow to him. Now the act in itself of Jesus the Son of God bowing to Satan, well that would demean Jesus, wouldn't it? Terribly. Incomprehensibly. But even just as a human being, a human being bowing down to the devil, that is demeaning, isn't it? That is so demeaning. But of course, Jesus is the Son of God. And if he was to do this, he was to, if he was to take this step, it would demean his person and his purpose as the Son of God come on this wonderful, amazing mission. It would destroy the integrity of his person. It would destroy the purpose of his mission because his mission was to live an exemplary life. Now, the devil was not and is not the rightful owner of all the kingdoms of the world. He doesn't have the right. But he does have great influence. He does have great influence and power in this world. And we see this in all the ways that uh, non-Christian, anti-Christian things infiltrate our media, society in so many different ways. Education and so on. And he does have great influence. He does, if you like, pull lots of strings in this world. He's not all powerful, but he does pull lots of strings. And therefore he has great influence and great power in the world. And he behaves like the demigod of the world. A god with a little g. And the Bible itself calls him, in that sense, the god of this world. The god, in effect, that many people have chosen without knowing it. Now what the devil's offer to Jesus promises, well, basically he's offering the world and he's offering a shortcut to glory. Bow to me. And all this can be yours. And if all this is yours, therefore, you can have influence and do what you want with it. It's a shortcut to glory. Now, of course, Jesus came to save the world. That was his mission. Jesus came to restore all things to glory and to overcome the influence of the devil, to overcome his power, his puppetry over human beings. Now, here was an offer to have the world. He was an offer to have influence and power. He was an offer, if you like, for the, for the devil to stand back, to step back from his influence and let Jesus, the Son of God, take over. He was a way, if you like, of avoiding the suffering of the cross. Now remember that the cross wasn't just a place of physical death that Jesus was going to endure. It was a place where Jesus was going to endure hell in the place of millions of people. And that is indescribable. And we cannot grasp that. 
And the temptation offered the world, the temptation offered a shortcut to glory, and this temptation was designed to lure Jesus away from fulfilling his mission in the way that it was planned and purposed. Now, what does temptation do to us, or for us? What does it offer to us? It offers us the world, doesn't it? It offers us great things. It offers us the glitz and glamour. Or at least a good experience, a good moment, some pleasure for a while, some position maybe, some notoriety. Temptation often offers us an easier, at least easier start with, route to something, a shortcut to something. So if you like some mundane examples, for example, stealing something is quicker than working hard, saving up and buying it, isn't it? It's, it's easier initially if it's there, it's, if it's available, if you can see it, no one's looking, it would be easier to steal something rather than working hard and saving up for it. Telling a lie about your qualifications to get a job is quicker than getting the qualification, isn't it? You know, if you tell a lie and you can get away with it, uh, then it's quicker than actually doing the hard work and study to get the qualification. So, temptation to sin is an offer of something quick, a quick route to get something. But of course, apart from the profound effect of dishonouring our Father God, our Creator God, giving into temptation demeans us as human beings. It demeans us as from what we were meant to be. We were created for better things, weren't we? We were created to be to be beautiful in holiness. We, we haven't all got maybe the face that we want, but we were all created to be beautiful in holiness. We're all created to be beautiful on the inside. But temptation and sin diverts us from our meaning and our mission. It makes us spiritually ugly. It demeans us. It takes away from what we were made to be. It takes away from our mission. It takes away from our, our reason to be, our purpose. Now, what is your mission in life? How would you describe, how would you sum up in a couple of sentences your mission, your purpose? For being on planet Earth. Think about it. Can you see how temptations are trying to divert you from that mission? Can you see how sin is trying to divert you from that mission? Can you see how the temptations that are coming to you through the media, maybe some of the, the programs you're into, and the influence, the lifestyle, the, the way that things are depicted? Now, it's not necessarily wrong to watch that program, but can you see how? If you were to give in to the influence that's coming across through that, that, that would take you away from your ultimate mission and purpose. Maybe it's other people around you. Maybe it's the friendship group that you're with. You can see how that if you were to go with the flow, their flow, that they would divert you. Nothing wrong necessarily with being their friends and being a good influence to them. But can you see how temptation might take away, take you away from your mission, your purpose? We can think of other examples, can't we? So let's think about how Jesus responds. We've examined, if you like, exposed the temptation. Let's think about how Jesus responds. Luke chapter 4, verse 8. Jesus answers this temptation. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, clearly there were lies in what the devil was saying. He's not really truly the owner of the world, is he? He doesn't have the, the, the rights to say what he said. And would he keep his promise? We can think of a, a, an organisation in a part of the world in Asia, can't we? 
and they're saying certain things at this time, promising that it won't do this or that, can we trust them? Well, we certainly can't trust the devil, can we? The devil is not the true owner of this world. If you like, he's an evil squatter in this world. The shortcut to glory that he's offering is in fact a highway to disaster. But as you know, when you're tired, when you're hungry, it's not always easy to think straight, is it? When you're at your best, if someone came to you with a temptation, you say, on your bike. But when you're tired and hungry, feeling weak, vulnerable, maybe been hurt by something that a few hours before, maybe a bit fed up, and someone comes along to you with the same temptation, it's not so easy to think straight, is it? The essence of what would be tempting to Jesus on this mountain temptation is a pain-free shortcut to some power and to do some good in the world. Now, of course, we can't enter into Jesus' mind and understand exactly what his thought processes were. But we know that Jesus has come on a mission to save people. We know his mission is to overthrow the power and the influence of the devil. We know that his mission is to, if you like, defeat the, the work of the devil and to change this world for the better in, in, in broad terms. To have the devil step back from his evil influence over this world, to have that factor removed at least, that would be helpful. And maybe some great change could come. Maybe something good could come from this. If I was to take up this offer, I'm so tired, I'm so hungry, I just want to get back. But Jesus didn't obviously give in. Jesus didn't call out the lies in what the devil was saying. He didn't negotiate with the devil. He didn't kind of enter into discussion with the devil. But I wonder if maybe in those moments, as Jesus knew something of the horrors of the cross to come, Maybe in that moment, as the devil was off making this offer, there was an agony of heart, if you like, a glimmer of an easier mission. Just a glimmer of it, an easier mission. Now, of course, there were lots of answers that Jesus could have given back to Satan here. But the answer Jesus gives is instructive to us. He says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I don't care about getting into discussion with you. This nails it. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And it's interesting, isn't it, how Jesus' response focuses on honouring and serving God, his Father. Whatever the devil is offering, it doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't discuss or negotiate because worshipping and serving God, completing his mission, God's way, trumps everything else. And Satan can't answer that. And this is the big principle that Jesus holds to. And this is the big principle that we need to keep big in our lives too. We can see how Jesus dealt with this temptation and there's a pattern here, a model here for us. We need to keep the big principle in mind and we need to keep it big in our lives. It's so important to keep these, these big principles in the right place, in our minds, in our hearts, so that when we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're harassed, when we're hurt maybe, when we're feeling low, feeling a tendency to depression when we're confused by our feelings the, the swirl of emotions in that moment of stress we need to be clearly conscious of a, the big principle and whatever is offered to you or me in a temptation it doesn't matter because our moral compass is striving to keep us in line with the big principles you're trying to get me this way but my moral compass is, keeps going that way and I want to worship and serve the Lord God only We see how Jesus responds. And then a big uh, heading here. It reminds me of the Puritans, how they wrote their headings in their sermons. The importance of building character and conscience in the battle with temptation. 
the importance of building character and conscience in the battle with temptation. Now again, let's think about what Jesus is doing here. The Lord's response to the devil at this time on the mountain, on temptation mountain. There were three temptations recorded in this uh, time, temptation for Jesus. And Jesus responds in a similar way to each by quoting from the Bible, from the Old Testament as it was, as it, as it is, of course, still, but uh, the Old Testament was only written by the, at that point. So Jesus responds similarly in each way to the three temptations that he gets in the wilderness experience, one of them, of course, on this very high mountain. But there was a building of character. There was a building of conscience over the previous 30 years that led up to this testing in the wilderness. And we cannot ignore that. Remember Luke chapter 2, verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. And just before the time when Jesus was tested in the wilderness and went on to Temptation Mountain, his Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit affirmed and anointed him, and we read about that in Luke chapter 3, just a page over, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And he was praying, as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus was about 30 years old at this point. What was God the Father well pleased about? What was God the Father well pleased about? You see Jesus hadn't begun his public ministry. He hadn't yet been tested in the wilderness or on Temptation Mountain. This was just the start of his public work. The baptism of Jesus was the, the start of his final three years on this earth and, if you like, the crucial events of his mission, which included the cross, of course, and the resurrection. But, of course, those crucial events and this temptation in the wilderness was not isolated from his previous 30 years because that was part of his mission, from his coming as an embryo in Mary's womb to his death and resurrection. It was all part of the plan. In the next three years, yes, Jesus was going to live an exemplary life, a perfect life. He was going to fulfill his mission in every way and please the Father still. But at this point, how would Jesus please the Father? By living a godly life for 30 years. By growing up. By living as a godly young man in Nazareth. By working as a carpenter in the village. By doing ordinary things around the home and the village. You see, it was a building of a character, the building of a conscience, the building of conviction, which was the human process which brought about that well-pleased from the Father. This is so important. This is the foundation for how Jesus responds to the testing time in the wilderness. Remember, Jesus grew and developed as a human being. And we need to follow Jesus in our mission in public, as we serve him, but we also need to follow him in the way he built character, conscience, and conviction over a lifetime. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, and we see here, we looked at this on Sunday evenings at Pelham Street in the messages there, and we see how we need to build on, on our faith. Not that we add to our faith in a salvation sense, of earning our salvation sense, but develop what God has given to us in our faith and trust in Jesus to grow in grace, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus, to grow in our character, in our conscience and conviction. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says, For this very reason, make every effort 
to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, you're trusting in him, well you need to build, to build and develop from that and grow in character and conscience and conviction. Sometimes we focus too much on what we do in public. Sometimes our Christian lives are all about what's done behind the pulpit or what's done in teaching Sunday school or youth work or, or activities or getting out and out, reaching out and these things we must do and these things are important. But sometimes we focus too much on what we do in public. We get ready for what we're going to do out there or in front of other people. Sometimes we, we wait to step up in the dramatic times of crisis. We're kind of waiting around for a crisis to step up to. But we neglect the building of our characters in the ordinary, behind the scenes, in the home, in our day-to-day -day lives. We can even be faithful in attending church meetings, but neglect to apply God's word and to grow in wisdom and to build a character. Are you building a character for Christ? Are you growing in conviction of what is right and wrong? Is your conscience being informed by what the Bible teaches so that you have a, a moral compass that is developing and strengthening for those testing and tempting times? Or are you neglecting to build that character conscience and conviction. It's living and learning and practicing godly lives in the ordinary that prepares us for the crisis. It's how we live in private that moulds us how to be used in public. There's a, a, at least one book written by, written from the perspective of pastors or, or famous Christians' wives. And, uh, you know, some of the, the famous names of Christian preachers and uh, characters from the past. And uh, no, this is not all the case, thank God for that. But there are some cases of some of these famous people, famous men, who in the home, it was a different story. There were angels in the pulpits, but they were <laughs> behind the closed door. And that's really sad. A sad indictment. But it does happen. There are people who stand in front of a pulpit and they, they preach well, but behind the front door, back home, it's a different story. That's just one example, but may, may that never be the case with us, with me. Please pray that that never happens with me. And I, I grow in grace and character and conscience. There's the concept of, of muscle memory, isn't there? Muscle memory in sports. Some of you are into sport, football, basketball, whatever it might be, uh, or playing an instrument, and muscle memory is very important. With lots and lots of practice, your mind and your muscles learn to work in such a way that there's an instinctive response that works instantly to make that stroke of, with a cricket bat or the golf golf bat, golf club. <laughs> or, or to catch that ball. Or, or, or to shape your fingers to the cord when you're playing the instrument. When the crisis comes, when the key moment arrives, mind and body work fluidly. Because you practice, you practice. You've built that response, that muscle memory. And on a spiritual level, we need to take God seriously in the everyday to build characters upon God's word in our ordinary lives so that when the crunch comes 
Our instinct, our default will be to make the choice that honours God. Even when we're confused by our feelings, by the the moral maze that we're facing, by the, the issues that we're struggling with, maybe feeling low emotionally at the time or even ill physically, weak and in pain and the temptation comes and we're vulnerable and, and we can't argue, we can't discuss our way to this but our moral compass says serve the Lord only, worship him and that will point us at least in the right direction so that we can defeat that temptation when it comes. Jesus, he responded to those three temptations and including this temptation on the mountain. He responded in such a way that we can see as a great example to us. And he went on to live such a godly life and went to the cross, fulfilling his mission. But we mustn't forget and ignore the 30 years of building a character, a conscience and conviction. Let me encourage you to do that in your daily Bible readings, in your daily prayer times, in your daily conversations with other Christians. To always be thinking about building that, that character, that godly character, that conscience and that conviction. So that you are getting stronger in grace. Stronger in knowing the Lord. So for those times of crisis. So then let's sum up then. And let's think about our mission. Let's ask ourselves again. What is our mission? Now our mission of course is not the same as Jesus' mission. But it parallels it. It's not the same but it parallels it. In John chapter 4 verse 34. Jesus describes his drive his desire to do what's right, to fulfill his mission. He describes it as my food. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We can see, can't we, the drive of Jesus to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And that passion to complete his mission took Jesus through all sorts of testing, including the time on Temptation Mountain, all through his life, through the torture of his crucifixion, through the horrors of hell that he endured on the cross. He fulfilled his mission. This was his drive. This was his desire. In John chapter 19 and verse 28, we see how Jesus, again, even on the cross, even as he's in terrible agony on the cross, he still has that desire to fulfill all things. Later, it says, knowing that everything had been finished so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And then verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He went right through to the end, fulfilling his mission. So the mission of Jesus was to please the Father. It was to pay the price for our sins, wasn't it? First, to endure the suffering. And then, of course, one day to take us home as his people. That's what he's looking forward to. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he knows that he glorified the Father in completing his mission and he knows that one day he's going to take us home to be with him in heaven, as his people. Our mission then, our mission of course, is to believe in Jesus, because we can't save ourselves like Jesus saved us. We can't die for our own sins. We need to believe in Jesus. So the work, the main work that you and I need to do is to believe in Jesus. The people ask that question, what what do we need to do to the works of God? The answer is to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus, to believe in him. He's our saviour. He's our Lord. He's our example. We need to trust in him To believe in Jesus, the Son of God, for our salvation. And that's the foundation of our lives. And then, of course, believing in Jesus, our direction of life now is to please the Father. Please God, our Heavenly Father. Uh, And we need to develop a godly character and conscience and conviction. And as we've seen, that includes our our day-to-day living. 
as we learn from God's word, as we learn with and from each other, as we fellowship with each other, as we rub each other, uh, not, not bad corners off, rough corners off each other, as iron sharpens iron, as we, we help each other. And of course, as well as pleasing the Father through growing in, in godliness and character, we need to take others with us. That's another part of our mission, isn't it? To go into all the world and preach the gospel, to share others and to invite others to join us in this mission. So let me put some words up on the screen. Our mission is to believe in Jesus. It's to please the Father. It's to invite others to come with us on the journey. And of course, it's to press on faithfully through thick and thin until Jesus returns to take us home. That's part of our mission. To press on, to endure suffering, even with joy, as James, the letter of James says. Because we know what it's achieving and what, it's, uh, what the results will be. So that's, this is our mission, to believe in Jesus, the Son, to, to please the Father, to take others with us, to invite others on the journey with us, and to press on faithfully until Jesus returns. So if you want a summary of your mission on planet Earth, use that. Maybe put it in your own words, but uh, that's our mission. And of course, like Jesus, we need to get this big picture, this mission in mind. And we need to work into our thinking, into every area of our lives, that this mission kind of pervades and, and infiltrates every, every aspect of our living so that no, there's no kind of dark areas where this is not true. Every area of our lives needs to be, uh, uh, this needs to filter through every section and every area of our lives, this great mission. And especially when it comes to the times of on Temptation Mountain. We need to keep this big picture in mind, as Jesus our Lord did. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we've had of seeing your son battling with the devil on Temptation Mountain and victoriously defeating that temptation because of, of his love for you, because of his desire to fulfill his mission, because of his purpose in coming to this world that he would not divert from. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that life that you lived that we often forget about. Those 30 years in the ordinary village of Nazareth. Those years of just being a boy, a young man, a carpenter, living a godly life, serving you. Lord, we thank you for your great, wonderful example. And we thank you, Lord, for how you built in a human way, in that sense, a character, a conscience, conviction that, Lord, led on through to those final three years of your mission. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you faithfully went through to the end of that mission for us. Help us, Lord, to get a grasp of our mission. Help us to get a grasp of our reason to be. Help us to get a grasp of the big picture for our lives. And help us to mould and shape Lord, everything on this great mission that you have for us, to believe in your Son, to please you, our Heavenly Father, to build a, a godly character and conscience and conviction. Lord, to take others with us, to be on the lookout always, to invite others to come to know you, Lord Jesus, and help us to press on with faithfulness, with perseverance, until that day Jesus calls for us and takes us home. Lord, we pray for your help to do this. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.